Hey, Gabriel Lake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? I'm in San Francisco. Where And I'm in you? Chicago. <laughs> I don't know if I already made the joke, but we truly sound like those twin teens movies from Disney from the 90s, where they actually split, you know, after the, uh, the parents like divorce or something, they split the daughters and they have to just learn to live apart, but they are like connected by their hearts. <laughs> Parent trap? I want to be Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> okay, okay. You take her. It's fine. You can, you can be the part that's also played by Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> that's true. We're like twins. Yeah. No, I will be a guy Garcia Bernal. Uh -huh. <laughs> the Lindsay Lohan twin, Gael Garcia Bernal. I love Gael. I love him so much. <laughs> I know you do. Uh, so, what if it was this time? This was my pick. Um, and you know how much I like classic Hollywood. Golden uh, Age Hollywood. Yeah, Golden go, Age Hollywood. <laughs> go crazy for it. <laughs> We, I picked Vertigo. Um, and the reason I picked it is because you, I don't want to exaggerate, but I think you really love Hitchcock, right? Or is you just like him a lot? I like him. I like him. I think okay. that I find it interesting from the perspective that uh, I always saw him like a very polarizing figure. Is that there are people that they say that he was pushing the boundaries of cinema you know, in the 50s. And we will talk about some stuff that he does in this movie. And other people say that he was super tacky and a hack. Um, I know how I feel. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> uh, from my perspective, I haven't made my mind. You know, is that there are like some movies that are like, okay, you know, this, this was interesting. And the other movies is like, let's, let's just move on. Let's just pretend that we watch this, you know. But for example, uh, did you watch The Rope? That was like one of the first movies that I watched that is like basically a single take. There are actually three takes, but it's like a 90-minute movie that there are only three takes. And it's a Hitchcock film? I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, it's from his second ones, I think. Uh, so I don't think that he's a perfect director. I think that he's a bit more like hit or miss. And some people try to elevate him. It's like, all his work is amazing. And other people trying to detract it into everything is fucking garbage. So I just think that some of his... All of his movies, I always find it like, yeah, you know, at least it was interesting to watch. They're not perfect, they're a bit flawed, but it's an interesting director to talk about and to think about. And that's honestly why I picked it. I wanted to discuss a Hitchcock film with you. I don't think we have. No, I think this is the first one. No. Okay. All right. No, I have, have seen this before, and you also have, yes. Yeah, we could have watched actually uh, Strangers on a Train, because it's also based on a Patricia Highsmith novel as the talent of Mr. Ripley. And I remember, oh wait, was it the 39 Steps? I make, no, 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 I saw Strangers on a Train. I, I remember yeah, liking that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, as this was your pick, quote unquote, I guess that is my turn for just summarizing it. Sure is. No. Uh, so this movie opens with, a, well, this movie takes place in San Francisco. And he likes to tell you every 30 seconds that it takes place in San Francisco. He's like, I've never watched, not even like Woody Allen saying that he's shooting in New York, Barcelona, London, or Paris. He's like, this, I, in this point, it almost felt like there was some kind of contract with his code about like, yeah, you can shoot in San Francisco, but you have to mention things from San Francisco on every single scene. There's a, there's a scene... I'll let you get to the synopsis, but a character falls into the San Francisco Bay and she doesn't remember it. And so James Stewart is telling her what happened. And he says San Francisco Bay like nine times in the conversation. And I was like, just call it the Bay, man. Yeah. <laughs> You're in San Francisco. <laughs> That's the funny thing is that it's pretty clear that this was written by someone that doesn't live here. That is a bit more back in the day. Sorry, if it was like nowadays, imagine that someone just look at TripAdvisor about like what are the coolest things to do in San Francisco, like restaurants or, you know, like landmarks. And he says like, we need to shot here. It's exactly yeah. the feeling that I had. It's like, this is by the praise of someone that doesn't live here, that he never lived here. And it's true, it's the 50s. Maybe people were referring to things in different way, but how he emphasizes about some of these things, if he's like, this is a bit, I don't know, cheap? Not too... Yeah, it's not like, quite like it is, but it's, yeah. it's fine. And to yeah. be fair, this is, as you said, based on a short story or novel, and it's supposed to take place in Paris, so the Samuel A. Taylor... 
adapted it. I wonder where he's from. I'm guessing Hollywood. Oh, he's from Chicago. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, clearly he was not from San Francisco. That's that. That was my feeling when I was watching this. I was like, look, I remember watching this movie before I moved to the states. Once that I was already living in San Francisco, and now, and it's like at this point, I feel like it's clear that this is a bit more of a. Are many are there many movies that they are shot in San Francisco? And you know, like some noir films. It's like okay, let's just throw more references. Let's just make sure that people get that we are here. You know, agreed. Yeah. So uh, going back to the synopsis, the movie opens with uh, James Stewart and a policeman, like just chasing. Well, he's a detective and a policeman just chasing someone through the roofs of San Francisco. Uh, in one of the jumps from one building to another, he almost falls over and he has a vertigo spell and he cannot move. Uh, mysteriously, the policeman comes back, tries to help him, and he falls to her death. So he ends up like fully traumatized by that, dealing with vertigo uh, all the time. About like he looks like through the window, he is going to have like uh, a vertigo spell. So he decides to retire the police force. Uh, while he's deciding what to do with his life, he gets contacted by a former college friend, and this college friend tells him that he needs a private eye to actually investigate his wife. That supposedly has been possessed by a ghost well by a ghost by a former i don't know like relative like a great grandmother it was a great grandmother but we don't really find that out until until later uh, later in the film yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i don't remember exactly what is the point that i should say that so uh just yes, started beginning doesn't believe it but he decides to actually following uh uh, her wife, his wife, and uh, she's played by Kim Novak, so we see them like in multiple places around San Francisco, and after a couple of days following her up, is that she decides to just try to commit suicide at jumping into the bay. Into the San Francisco Bay, not any bay. San Francisco, the bay. San Francisco bay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, he saves her, Jesus to her, saves her, takes her to her apartment, and from that point they start like getting a bit closer and closer, and how she starts like just becoming like weirder, but at the same time like having a happy time together. And at the end they take her to San Luis Obispo, I think that it is, like the mission like south of Santa Cruz before getting to Monterrey. Yes, I can't remember the name, but I'm sure you're right. A hundred miles south of San Francisco. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, because they say like the distance that is like, okay with those cars. That's going to be like five hours driving. That's true. <laughs> uh, so they get there, and uh, well, something to highlight is that uh, Kim Novak doesn't remember anything of these spells of being possessed when she does like something crazy. So when they are in the uh, in the mission, she runs away to the church. She goes up the uh, tower of the church, and while James Stewart is trying dealing with Vertigo, is like Kim Novak. We see Kim Novak jumping off the uh, of the tower and dying. So that's the second act, and then the third act is basically him dealing with the uh, trauma of what happened, the PTSD. I think that he actually goes to a, a asylum. We see an asylum for a brief period. So Jim Stewart felt deeply in love with Madeline. Um, so this second trauma basically sent him to a sanatorium where he's catatonic and yeah, dealing yeah. with his grief. And, yeah. yeah, but eventually he recovers, but he's still obsessed and seeing uh, Kid Nova's character, Mad- Madeline, who is the name? Yes. Madeline, uh, everywhere. So uh, he gets to a point that he runs into a brunette girl on the street that for some weird reason he falls I mean, he's like really interested in, and after a very rapey conversation in the hotel where she lives, that basically he imposes himself for just going into her room, and she's like, look, I don't want anything with you because I'm used to people like just falling in love, you know, because I remember of someone else, it's like, and I myself, uh, she ends up like just deciding to date her, and oh, here comes the twist, she is Madeline. Dun, dun, dun. So we discovered that she was never possessed or anything, everything was employed from this quote-unquote former college friend that he basically found a champ on the newspaper that 
he had like vertigo, so he knew this is like a very convoluted plan. Let's just be honest, you know. <laughs> it's like he knew that if he were to just throw his real wife off the church tower, he wouldn't dare to go up there because of the vertigo that he was suffering. So he put it on the trail of oh, she's dealing with a depression, she's possessed by someone, and when she committed suicide, he didn't confirm it. And as they look so similar, I don't know how similar they could actually look, is that they, he couldn't identify that the dead person was not Kim Novak. Who it's knows? A little, it's a little weak or light. The plot's a little light. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say that it requires like a bit of a suspension of disbelief and not wondering about like, wait, what? Wait, is this for reals? Uh, but in any case, is that that's what happens? And I like, well, I like. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into if I like or not. But he starts trying to turn the brunette woman that he met on the street, that is also played by Kim Novak, into Marley. So he starts like just trying to force her to dress in the way that she was dressing, to have like the same color hair, like behave in the same kind of way, going to the same places. But just to be clear, we the audience understands that Judy pretended to be Madeline, but uh, James Stewart does not know that. It doesn't. It doesn't. But actually, of course, Judy, Judy was truly in love with him, and he and she even thinks about like, oh, I need to skip town because he's going to be like, discovering eventually that I was Madeline. But at the end, as she was like so madly in love, she still wants to just enjoy that time together and even if she's like just saying like no I don't want to become that woman that died and you were in love with but she with the promise of just making him happy and just having that happiness together again is that she decides to roll with it but she makes a terrible mistake because she kept like some uh, jewelry from uh, Marilyn and she and this is like such a basic mistake that like, yeah I'm going to be like wearing this jewel that probably he's not going to remember that Madeline used it's like a big bold necklace it's not like oh a little chain you forgot you used her yeah, yeah it's like you know it's the kind of jewel that girls from Salinas Arizona used to wear you know no, yeah. no, it's like completely out of character so if it's a bit more of a self-inflicted kind of thing a bit more about like okay the plot needs this so uh, then another like weird twist uh, James Stewart takes a uh, uh, Judy transformed now physically into Madeline to uh, San Luis Obispo. They take it to the mission and then he takes it to the top of the church because his vertigo has been healed mostly at this point. It's that like he's suffering going up, but that like he can. And then when they are, when he's. Just let me point out that, like, right in the beginning, there's a conversation with his best friend where she's like, look, only another emotional trauma is going to cure you of your of your vertigo and then has it with Madeline quote-unquote dying so now he can take her to the top. Exactly. So while they're there and Judy explains everything that this was like a ploy you were like just like a, a vehicle that he needed a witness of this for just murdering his wife and just getting all the money after like confessing everything a nun shows up randomly and Judy gets scared and jumps off the uh, off the tower. But the nun didn't like come up the stairs. The nun had just been chilling in the shadows and then decided to walk out <laughs> and scared uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. That part is a bit more. It's like, where is this nun coming from? Because it was like they have been here for a couple of minutes and they haven't realized about it. Because this is in the middle of the day, you know, in the top of a tower that they have windows because you need windows for the sound of the bell. For us to just transmit better. So it's a, there is there is not too much place, too many places for us to hide in here. Yeah. And then I assumed that the nun was there so she could provide an alibi to James Stewart. Um, but maybe that's the case, but the movie ended right then. Yep, <laughs> so we yep, there. Is that we don't need anything else. We see James Stewart like just facing the uh, the height, you know, like standing in front of the of the abyss. I just did that. Now, this is like the whole summary, and there is a part that I left out on purpose. And I wanted to hear if you realize about it. Like a whole arc. Was it with Midge? Exactly. I left like the whole Midge part because I feel like it's completely insubstantial for the movie. It's like you could remove it, and it's like this movie still tells the same story. 
Yeah, it's like it's it's really for exposition and to as a plot device to bring in new characters. Like at some point, she seems to be like the quintessential San Francisco gal, an artistic person with a beautiful apartment that couldn't exist here. Nope. And um, and he's like, I really need to know somebody that knows the dirty history of San Francisco. And she's like, Oh, it's Paul who owns the bookstore. I'll introduce you. Like that's the point. <laughs> Yeah, that's her only point. Well, that's her only point, and there is another part. I told you before this movie that I had, I had like a different perspective on some stuff this time. I remember recommending this movie to someone not so long ago, and I don't remember to whom I recommended. And he made like an interesting point about like the dichotomy between uh, Mitch and Madeleine as female characters in the movie. There is a Mitch is in love with uh, Johnny, no? Then they were... Explicitly, she says uh, it. Yeah, she says yeah. it. He said, for me, there was only a man, it was you, Johnny O. And, uh, but then they were also engaged while they were in, uh, in college, but she broke the engagement, no? Now, we have like this character that is talented, accomplished, has a career, you know, it's, I think that she's pretty, you know, she's not yeah. like bombastic, but she's a pretty woman. And uh, then on the other hand, you have like this mysterious woman that is married, that it almost feels like is unattainable, and is and he falls madly in love with her, you know. And it makes me just feel this: like, what is the point of Mitch in this movie? What what is he trying? What what was? this story like trying to accomplish with this character because as I told you I could remove it and the story would have worked it would be interesting to read the original story I'm guessing she played a more significant role um, and as we were mentioning before we started recording they talk about being college buddies but James Stewart is 50 and she's like 20 f- no 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 she's like no, 35 probably. 35 and it's just very strange it's very strange and also did you know this considered this movie was considered a failure and hitchcock uh publicly said that it was because james stewart was too old to be taken seriously i don't disagree with that part and from the perspective that is that him being 50 and falling in love with king nova that he was 25 at that point it's queer you know, yeah. that's a. I had the feeling that it's like, look, there is, there are like some stuff that maybe in the 50s, in this movie, you have a release in the early 50s. Maybe the society at that point is like, yeah, of course, we're not going to even think about this. But when they say about like our college days, is that there is, it's impossible to not even like just wink at that point about like, wait, what? College days? About like just being in college together, like just being like 18 years old and just being in college together. At that point, it's like, okay, this is a movie that is going to require like way more suspension of disbelief than I remember. Even talking about it now, it's a little flimsier than I even noticed when watching it, um, which is a good thing for me in terms of whether or not I like it, um, because I will say that I did like this movie. I had to say that I actually also like pay attention to those things because I watched it first, like the first hour, and I was under the influence, let's say. And, uh, <laughs> and then I was like, I don't trust myself that I remember everything from this movie, so we rewatch it like completely sober. I watched it 100% sober. Um... But I will say that I remembered so little of this film, so little of it. And I'm trying to think of when I saw it. I think we've I've seen it since we've been friends, right? Because we did talk about it years and years ago. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, uh, was like once that you would see it. But I don't remember all the San Francisco scenes. Like I remembered the mission, like going out to the mission way outside of San Francisco. Um, in fact, I remember specifically a scene that doesn't exist. Which is weird to me. I don't know if there's like a director's cut out there I saw or something like that. What is he? Do you remember? I just I remember him experiencing vertigo, but he was all the way at the top of the the tower, and like oh. there was this scene where things shifted, and well, I don't know if I looked away and missed it or what. Maybe there was like some uh, I don't know why the dream is seen when he's like just going crazy with all the psychedelic colors. There is a, I feel his colleagues to do that kind of stuff about like I'm going to be like pushing it, you know, about like doing something a bit crazier. There is a 
like it or hate it is absolutely fine, but it's a, it's, it's a bit more of the psychedelic, it's before like the psychedelic uh, era yeah. started, you know, so it's the... This came uh, out in 58, right? 58, yeah. I'm not going to say like, is this like forward looking or something? Like, I'm not sure, but that actually generalized, was generalized later. So maybe this was an influence for actually just using these kind of explosive colors and surrealist things, you know, like maybe like mixing up animation with everything. Um, but I recall that scene being a bit longer. And maybe on that scene is when he actually is on the top of the, uh, of the tower. I remember that there were like more things that didn't make sense. Yeah, and it's interesting because I just grabbed my phone to Google because Timothy Leary discovered LSD in San Francisco. Maybe there's a connection. Uh, I don't know. A nod to the oncoming yeah. free love, hippie movement, psychedelics. Yeah, maybe. I have to say that uh, there are like so many scenes from a photography perspective that I love in this movie. I remember like the first time that I watched it that I was like mind blown. All the scenes and I think that in my brain I remember a different movie, a different set of scenes, but I remember like just having more scenes working in public. We only see her back or her silhouette. But it's like how is she portrayed as such a mysterious character? And also like just like oh I'm going to be like following here and the only thing that I see of her is her back. Is that I see what she sees, but I don't see her. I don't see her face. And I always found that like, this is amazingly well shot for just building like that kind of mystery. So uh, some months, and this was like only months that I found like a bit surprising. I went to uh, to Madrid at that point. I was living in Galicia, and I went to Madrid, and we went to a random museum, and they had an exhibit of a local artist, and one of the local artists was doing exactly that. It was like just photographing like a woman in different parts of San Francisco, just from behind a blonde woman. Sorry, San Francisco of, uh, of Madrid. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and after like watching like two or three of them, it's like, hey, this looks like Vertigo. And when I found like, the description, it's like, this is actually inspired by Vertigo. And it's, like, that's the reason why the woman is like just dressed up a bit like in mobile character. Like, no. I was reading a lot about this film and so much thought went into... Um... Kim Novak's character as Madeline. Uh, obviously, someone didn't to her as Judy, but the way she dressed, for instance, the um, colors she's surrounded by uh, are supposed to be indicative of what's happening in her head. Her blonde hair, it's not really blonde, well, it's blonde, but it's more like white gray. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting film. Uh, I, I walked away from it being entertained. Um, I really love to see San Francisco. It's interesting how much it resembles the San Francisco of today and how little it re resembles the San Francisco of today. Yeah. And I feel like almost everything took place in your former neighborhood. Uh, yeah. Because it's on the hills. And yeah, the it's, yeah, it's basically on the uh, on, uh, on Knock Hill, at the top of the hill. So she lives in one of the buildings that is like a residential building. The other one that is south is a hotel, but the one is a short residential building that is still there. And uh, see, they actually drive around a lot. You know that scene that he's following her and they start like, just going left and right? They go like three blocks away from where I used to live. They go to play. And just seeing Alcatraz, but not like pointing it out. You know, just like, it was really nice to see the city that I've lived in for the last 10 years um, and the city you abandoned. Um, and we were actually, this might not be, relevant but um just before we started recording you and i were having a discussion about directors who write their own content and whether that's a good thing or you know would would they be stronger with somebody who wrote their their scripts instead of them um and i was thinking somehow related to that conversation that he knows how to direct scenes and create su suspense and um he knows how to pick actors that are able to portray i would say arguably exactly what he wants to portray like james stewart is always incredibly tense in the most casual way and kim novak completely transforms in my opinion between when she's pretending to be um madeline and when she's actually judy um she transforms but i always i also feel like her role as madeline is a bit is not the method didn't start at that point. It was a bit like overacting. 
you know, but I think that that's expected from Hollywood pre Yeah, that's 70s. like the definition yeah. of Hollywood, <laughs> classic Hollywood. Um, but I, I do wish that he didn't have 100% creative control because, as we were saying, some of these directors could use an editor. I feel like in this case, if he had an editor that made it a little bit tighter, it would have been more fun to watch. Um, but overall, I mean, it's beautiful. It's like I'm thinking specifically, like you said, the photography, the colors are beautiful. The city as a character, even though I hate when people say that, it, it really was. Maybe that's just because I'm so familiar with it. Um, there are some pretty serious plot holes, like Gavin's wife is supposed to be just dead, so he basically had to wait to kill his wife until they were driving. Like, the, he had to be at the top of the tower at the exact moment they were at the mission. Like, it's just so, like, it's so absurd. But I will say that unless you really think about it, it doesn't feel absurd. It just feels like a thriller. Yeah, it's like that, is that you cannot take it that seriously. Yeah. You know, I think that it's a bit more of a enjoy the ride, don't try to question it. You know, from that perspective, we'll get to the questions, but it's like it's something that I feel is a this is one of those movies that it would be the equivalent, and probably someone would want to punch me in the face for saying this, but it would be the equivalent of just watching a blockbuster movie like a Marvel movie nowadays. About like the least you think, the more enjoyment you can get of this. That I agree. I do think this is light years better. Oh yeah, than... yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that it's like at the same level as Black Widow or anything like that. I'm just saying that this is not looking for you to keep thinking about it. You know, from the perspective of complex stories being developed in front of you. And I would say this is pretty representative of how I feel about him as a director. Like, if there's always something interesting, and usually it's good. In my opinion, he never makes that jump from good to great. But I'm never, like, really, like, unhappy I watched a Hitchcock film. It's just... Yeah. doesn't knock it out of the park for me. Yeah, it's at least entertaining. Yep. And there was nothing wrong with entertaining. You know, I think that we should just... No, ...curve our, you know, expectations on that. It's like, making a movie that is entertaining is not easy. You know, it's like quality entertainment. So... I can't remember if we were recording when you said this, but you understood that Hitchcock kind of had this reputation for pushing cinema into kind of brand new territory. Yeah. Do you feel that way, that he was doing that in the 50s, 60s? I feel like he does some crazy stuff with color. You know, it's like if... It reminds me, the other day I was thinking about this, it reminds me of something that I was discussing with a friend about... Uh, uh, Kurosawa was great. I think that we watched Rashomon for the podcast. Uh, and there are like many other movies that they are like really well respected as some of the best Japanese movie ever made. But then he discovered color and he went crazy. It was like completely everything yeah. was not about like just making a movie. It was about like I want to put like the craziest colors and just making them pop. You know? I don't know if it was like Ram, that it was the King Lihar retelling in feudal Japan. I remember like the colors on that movie were insane. It was like the kind of thing that is like, no one was this before releasing it. This is, <laughs> this is out of control. And I think that uh, his coach was trying to, uh, as you said earlier, it's like uh, King Novak, all the dressing that he was doing all the colors that they were choosing is that everything was like just directed you know everything was like just planned for just expressing something I think that his coach wanted to just uh, project feelings you know through non so standard ways if I think that this is like ahead of the curve or not if he's accelerating all the movies I don't think so but I think that there were like a lot of effort into putting them that it doesn't feel like, I don't know, this is going to be sound wrong, but it's, like, it's not like Fastbinder. It's yeah, not about no, like, I can see that. Yeah, is that there is there is more effort than actually just meets the eye in what he's doing. It doesn't get to Kubrick level, you know? <laughs> like, this is insane, all the effort that actually is behind each one of the movies, but it's clear that he knew what he was doing. That he had like one thing that he could do well, and he tried to do the best. 
So I don't know much specifically about the shift from black and white to color. Uh, but I did read the New York Times review and it did specifically um, call out the use of color and um, showing San Francisco as a beautiful, interesting city in what might be considered one of the first times in not just of San Francisco, but of a city in color. Um, so I could totally buy that as him being one of the people who just got how to use it once it became available without going like overboard. Well, I mean, I would say that the dream I see, the dream sequence, is completely going overboard. But it's the point. It wasn't, it wasn't that, like, long. It wasn't, like... True, true. I mean, I remember, like, the previous time that I watched it, it's like, this is insane in many levels. But at the same time, it's, like, it's actually his descent into madness. Melancholia. Sure, Which is yeah. what he's diagnosed with. <laughs> That's true. Uh... But no, overall, it's, I think that it's a good movie. Overall, I agree, you know, and there are like many things I don't regret, like keep insisting you for years about like, I'm going to make you watch it again. And now that I don't live in San Francisco, it was interesting to just watch it and just say that it's like, yeah, I used to live there, but not on that San Francisco. Yeah. So. And there was never any traffic, any traffic, apparently. No. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, should we go over the questions? Let's do it. All right. So, first question. Would you watch it again? Yeah, I would absolutely watch it again. All right. Uh, would you watch it again tomorrow? I... No. I mean, if somebody came over to my house tomorrow and was like, hey, I really want to watch this movie, I would be into it. But, like, I will watch this movie in five years' time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I go too. You know, it's this was like probably the fourth time or the fifth time that I was watching it. And it's a movie that I don't regret watching. As we were saying, it's like just entertaining. At least it's like quality entertaining. So that's good. Uh would you recommend it? Uh so the the answer is yes, but the opportunity is not going to come up. Like I can't imagine if anyone came to me asking for a recommendation, I can't imagine a scenario where I would say, Oh, you've gotta check out Vertigo. Okay, if they ask you tell me a movie, recommend me a movie that it was shot in San Francisco. Uh the one with the rock and the earthquake is what I would say first. San Andreas. That's the one. <laughs> okay. Okay, so if someone is someone that you don't hate comes to us about a movie that it was shot Honestly, those are the only two movies I can think of that were shot here, so yeah, I would recommend Vertigo. Uh The Game from Fincher. That was shot in San Francisco? Yeah, man. You don't remember? I watched it like 15 years ago and I hadn't been to San Francisco at that point. I had to say that the first time is that I wasn't here and then someone told me, I think that my ex told me, he's like, oh yeah, the game was shot here. He's like, no, 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 no. It was in New York probably, but it was not in San Francisco. And then we watched it. And yeah, it's certainly shot in San Francisco. Just last night, the game was on HBO Max and I told Pablo, I was like, isn't that a great movie? And he's like, what is it? And I was like, one of the great David Fincher movies. So I might have to watch it really soon. Yeah, you have to. Maybe we should do like a cycle of uh, watching San Francisco short movies. Oh, that would be a great series. Yeah. And Unless we also... <laughs> so, uh, also one of our first movies, I don't think that we record for the podcast, it was a noir movie from the 30s or 40s. Oh, that The it... Falcon. The, the, uh, the Maltese Falcon. Falcon. But that, we didn't yeah. watch that one. We watched another one that the guy goes to uh, Alcatraz, he ends up in jail. In Alcatraz, I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah, and he swims. He swims out. Yeah, and... he's out. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there is also this one with uh, Steve McQueen, not the director, the actor, that is like pretty famous because of the chases scenes that they are in the hills of, uh, of San Francisco. It's called Bullet. Bullet. I don't remember. But I don't know that one, but I, I'm certainly going to Google movie shot in San Francisco after this. There is, there is like a good assortment of them, but there is not. You know, you cannot compare with with. New York on the amount of them, you know, yeah. and I think that this like a, it's pretty iconic. This as the movie makes such a big effort for telling you, hey, we are in San Francisco. It almost feels like I mean, it doesn't get to be Cristina Barcelona, you know, and, and Spain, but it gets to a point that is like you guys got paid by the San Francisco City Hall. 
It's interesting because I read that Hitchcock absolutely preferred to shoot on set. So in this, there are very few shots that are actually in San Francisco. Even the mission is a recreated set in LA. Interesting. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that part. Well, when they're inside the mission. Because when they're uh, outside... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When they are outside, is that that's definitely, definitely that uh, that mission. I mean, uh, okay, yeah, I would recommend it. Honestly, it's like I think that this is a movie that if someone asks me about a thriller, or if someone asks me something short in San Francisco, or if someone asks me a movie by Hitchcock, I would recommend it. I was trying to think if someone asked me to recommend a Hitchcock film, I need to rewatch Rear Window. I remember mm-hmm. absolutely loving the Thirty Nine Steps. Um, and really liking Strangers on a Train. A train, yeah. Uh, would you remember it? I don't know the answer to that question because I didn't remember... I remembered so little from the first time I saw it. I think I will, but I didn't remember it between the first and second viewings. So, yes or no? Uh, I'm going to say no, just because uh, that was my experience. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that I will remember it. I remember like most of it. I have forgotten that uh, Carlota Valdez was supposed to be the great-grandmother of Madeline. I have forgotten that part, but beyond that, everything was, you know, like exactly said. Oh, wow. Part. That's a lot of detail. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a movie that I told you. Like, I was like many times. And visually, I found it striking. And even I found hilarious that the first time that I watched it is a... Who's that? And then it's like when they actually start like just dressing her up, or he's he's like writing the note. He's like, "That's kidnapping," you know. But there was like a moment of, "I'm not sure is that the same girl or not." And I was watching it uh, with someone, and uh, and he said that he's like, eh, "That actress doesn't even look similar to Kim Novak." Not at all. I was like, is that supposed to be the same person? What the hell? Because the hair work that it is, it was like pretty on point about like the other one looks sophisticated and everything and these look like, eh, you know. One I mean, even down to the eyebrows, the eyebrows changed color. Yeah. And she was super crass. Yeah. Or not. Well, not crass, but it's like just, yeah, not refined. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything artistic about it? Um, yeah, I would say the photography the and the the way he showed San Francisco, I thought, was really, really beautiful. Um, and I would also argue that the performances he got out of his actors, I know you disagree, but I thought they were great performances. To be completely frank, is the cat don't completely disagree. I think that, for example, the actress that plays Mitch and James Stewart, they do a tiny bit better job than Kim Novak. Kim Novak, but it's a bit more like because of the role that she's playing that is a bit over-exaggerated on the first time, on the first part. And I think that it would require, for just selling it to nowadays audience, it would require a bit more of nuance. And she doesn't have nuance. She's like, the points that she's like just being possessed by Carlota is that like she's opening her eyes like in a different way and just making a face that is like, yeah, you almost should also like just grab a, a sign that it says, possess. Uh, that's the only part that I'm like, eh, you know, the, the rest of the acting is a bit more of a problem of his time. Uh, but I think that there is, as I said earlier, is like the photography for me is, is pretty effective. You know, it actually helps a lot, like just building up that kind of tension and mystery. Yep. Uh, is this a timeless piece? Yeah, yeah. I, yes. Yeah. I mean, besides the things we just mentioned about that it is a product of its time and that over-exaggerated sort of story and, and, and the acting, but I I feel like in 2021, it still comes across as very relevant. Yeah, I agree. I The only thing about like the timeless piece is what I was telling you earlier about like just the dichotomy between Kim Novak and Mitch's uh, character, well, Madeline and Mitch, that is a it almost paints Mitch as desperate for love, and James Stewart actually Johnny goes with the mysterious woman. That the least that we know of her, the better. You know, that it almost feels like is there some kind of commentary there? A bit of a because he's got used to be like famous for being a bit misogynist. And like, is there something like misogynist about this? About what a man really wants? 
I don't know the answer. I can see what you're saying, and this is why I want to read the original story because I'm guessing whatever archetypes were supposed to be yeah. uh, displayed are more fully flushed out there. Yeah, and that's the part that I feel, and that's the reason when I did the summary, left it out completely. About like, I like the character of Mitch, but in the overall narrative, I think that is more problematic than actually adding to the story by nowadays standards. So I still think there is a timeless piece, but. With, with caveat. the caveat. Yeah, with the caveat there. You know, like the small caveat. That maybe I should also read the book and just make my own uh, my own opinion about this. Uh, will you turn this into a TV show? Honestly, I think it could. Yeah, I think they could have introduced more characters, uh, stretched out the mystery a bit longer. It could make an excellent limited series on HBO, I think. Yeah, and I think that it actually, I agree with you, and I think that it connects to what you were saying, that the city being its own character, that is that you could have explored, play more of it, you know, when they were saying about like, oh, we could talk with this guy that he knows all the greedy story of San Francisco, he's like, why not adding more characters, why not making it more about like the greedy story of San Francisco? It would be cool if each episode was dedicated to a neighborhood. Like they have something to do in the hate, or yeah, and they, they go to the I dive mean, they bars. The Western edition. I was like, That's was true. the Western edition not shitty back then? Because they didn't seem to think it was. I, well, I mean, just think that uh, I don't remember on what year the Sunset and the Richmond was built, but probably was not like properly built until the 30s. You know, is they saw those were like out of The Western edition was like, okay, this oh, is yeah. still shitty, you know, but it's not as the same as just living next to Union Square, as they actually do. And they show Union Square non-stop. That's true. That's true. Uh, so, do you think that this movie could have been better? It's interesting because my, my first instinct is to say no, and that's because I respect the film. Maybe I like it more than I admit to myself. Um, I would have liked Midge to be built out I would have liked the gate, the glaring plot holes to be issued, uh, to be fixed. Like, we cannot believe James Stewart is a serious suitor for a 25-year-old. <laughs> Midge obviously did not go to college with him. Um, I, the, the thing about Gavin timing him throwing his wife off the roof is just so unbelievable to me that it's yes it could have been better the answer is yes <laughs> the answer is yes okay uh my answer i see all of that i mean we discussed it earlier my answer is going to be no because i still acknowledge that it's okay it's not perfect you know but it's not like a glaring omission that detracts from the overall experience it's still like enjoyable and i think that if they spend like more time like justifying things is like how you can write this because the premise is once again it's about possession and James Stewart rolls with it and he falls in love with the possessed woman that is not there possessed is not possessed and there is one scene I want to ask you about I was going to wait until you, at the very end when you say is there anything else you want to say let's just finish the questions and I'll bring up, bring up the one question alright so my answer is that I think that this movie I don't say that it's perfect but I think that with what the premise was is that this is as good as it could get that's fair. All right. Uh, do you want to add your comment or do you want to uh, score first? Uh, I'll ask before we score because it may impact the score. Okay. There, uh, so before Madeline really meets Johnny uh, and he's just following her around, he follows her to a hotel that she's been renting a room at for several weeks. He watches her go into the hotel. She goes up to her room, which is on the second story in the corner. We watch her enter the room, she sits down, then Hugh walks into the hotel and starts asking the owner of the hotel for information about this woman. And she's like, there's no way that person is in her hotel room. The key is right here. I would have seen her walk in. He says, go check in the room. There's no one in the room and her car is not there. And the audience is allowed to believe that this is uh, paranormal, that it's a ghost and yeah. it's never explained. And I think that is a very cheap thing he did. A very, very cheap thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it. I get it, but at the same time... I didn't give it, like, too much importance, you know? I just felt 
that is like I didn't feel like that way. It's like I thought that is like maybe they paid this woman for actually just lying. Oh well, that explained it very easily. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, I just said that at the beginning. It's like I cannot give you that information. That would be illegal. Wink, wink. And he actually does the illegal thing. That he's retired, but he still shows his badge for say like. And a policeman is like, no, you are not James Stewart. You are lying. You are so, retired and you are mentally ill. Correct. Correct. But mm-hmm. at that point, is not well. He's uh, he suffers from that, but he is not mentally ill at that point. Uh, so what I thought is like, probably she actually because basically like she's displaying herself to be followed. No, she knows all the time that she's being followed. So from that perspective, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually arranged the whole thing, because the whole thing is about like making James Stewart believe what they want them to believe. So from that perspective, like, I wouldn't be surprised if this woman, they actually had like a second copy of the room, and they were like completely on it about like if someone comes to ask, even if it's the policeman, this woman is not here. That actually makes a lot of sense. Fine, let's score. Yeah, and uh, besides that, is that you can see that he, he's actually just uh, stalling. She's actually stalling him. So during that time, there was like enough time for her to just run out and drive away. Fine. Yeah, but honestly, is that the thing is that there are like many things that they are displaying a way that you could think is like, is this paranormal? And not well, that's what had me so shocked. I was like, I, he doesn't usually do paranormal stuff. Is this actually about possession? I couldn't remember. No, I mean, I knew that it wasn't, but it's like, it, I think that it's like properly displayed. That is like, if you are not like poking holes, is that like, it gets to a point that you may actually say, it's like, maybe it's that kind of movie. Maybe there is, there is a real possession. I really did think that. I was like, wow, is this going to be a ghost story? Okay. No, you're making me think that it's actually better. Uh, so. Should I score first? This was my pick, so you score first. <laughs> okay, uh, my score, my score is going to be a seven point five. I still think that it's an iconic movie. I still think that it's a movie that I enjoy watching. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I think that there may be some problems here, you know, like for our times, but I is and I recommend it. It's a movie that I have a good time watching, and it's two hours of a movie. And I still enjoy those two hours. That's exactly my score. I do think this is a good film for me. It doesn't transcend greatness, but it's a solid movie, one hundred percent. Yeah, and it's unhappy that we actually get, you know, to the same score after discussing and after actually how we presented how we discussed last week about oh we're going to be like watching Vertigo because I want to destroy it. Talking with you, but that's mostly because I like to teach you. By the way, my score did not change from when we started recording. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, I was between a seven and a seven point five. You know, because I'm still like just thinking about like, is there a problem or not? I shouldn't actually penalize a movie. I think that by today's standard, like trying to apply today's standards to a movie that it was made in the fifties. Yeah, it's just you can't. It's just not fair. Like. I had a, a, a small complaint about the quality of the stunts and the special effects. I was like, I, I can't, I cannot hold a film in 1958 to the standards that I'm used to today, even if it's still jarring to see something oh. done so poorly. Yeah, the, the green screens that they apply are garbage, all of them. Yeah, not, and not they great. try and they try to do it because the camera and the film quality was not that good back then. Is that they try to do this stupid thing about like just playing that is nighttime when it's daytime. That is one of my biggest pet peeves, is when they yeah. just put a filter over filming in the middle of the day. No, yeah. no. Because that's the opening scene, when they're like just writing, it's like, no. When it's I watch clearly it, like 2 p.m. Yep, it's like, no, that, that, that's weird, that's just strange. But yeah, man, uh, this was great. So, the next one is my peak, officially my peak, according to the expressive. Technically, technically. Yeah, te- technically, in any case, it's like, let's just... We discussed it earlier, you had a suggestion, we decided to go to another with another one that I had like a bit more of an interest to watch. Uh, old. He's saying he's not interested in old, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. I don't no. understand why you saw the trailer. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it, maybe that's it, because I was like, I heard stuff about it, but it was like Al Garcia, but now so I thought like, maybe it's interesting. You told me about like watching the trailer today, 
and it was like yeah it's so bad it's yeah. so bad. it's like the trailer i think that it was enough for actually just talking for 30 minutes about like how bad the movie was without watching the movie to be fair i recommended we watch this because it's fun to tear apart bad movies um but i agree what we've just what we landed on is better i i had to ask you i mean and this is not we can actually add it to the notes that we also talk about old <laughs> about the trailer but the kid and a spoiler alert about the trailer <laughs> i guess that about the movie too is like the kid that turns into a grown-up that is supposed to be the son of the main couple that is Gary garcia bernal and this blonde girl he looks indian yeah, I was like, wait, wait, where? Who did this kid come from? It was so bizarre. <laughs> Maybe it's they're so adopted. Bizarre. Maybe they're adopted for just giving some kind of backstory. story. True. Yeah, I don't but know. That is just one thing in a long list of things that don't make sense in that trailer. <laughs> nope. Well, I mean, it makes sense, but it also like just detracts me from going to watch it. You know, that is like, I shouldn't be watching this. I shouldn't be like just supporting this person anymore. I shouldn't. You know, if, if it's one day on Netflix or whatever and I'm like completely high and I don't want to pay attention to anything, I want to just laugh at a bad movie, definitely. But That's when we'll review it, when we can watch it for free. Exactly, exactly. Is that we're discussing that we should become like a bit more mainstream and watching like stuff that is on the cinema right now. Not like this. Not <laughs> this isn't like the, this. This isn't the one. Exactly. This is like the line. The line that I paint is like Samalan. It's like Samalan, let's not cross Samalan. Samalan line. So we're going to be watching Pig with Nicolas Cage. That is also on the cinemas. John Wick, except with Nicolas Cage and a pig. And a pig. And a pig. And a pig. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More edgy, you know. Uh, okay. Anything else to say about Vertigo? Uh, just that I know I tease you a lot about Hitchcock, but you know I think he's a pretty good director, so I'm yeah. glad we watched it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Alright, uh, so to uh, everyone out there that's listening to us, thank you so much for putting up with us. And wash your hands and probably put your mask back on. Who knows? Yep, yeah, yeah. It's like this summer of maskless that we have. We're going to be paying for it for the rest of the year. And wash your hands, as you said. Okay. Yep. Bye. <laughs>